Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome back. Thank you for listening and making a commitment to learning. Hope everybody is doing well. We are your hosts. I am, of course, Jordan Porter, joined by the phenomenal, passionate, and pretty Yvonne Brandenburg. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, that's amazing. I covered that with (laughs) post-its, so I couldn't see what you said. (laughs) Aw, this week is brought to you by the letter P. If people didn't get that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So funny. I, you know, I'm yes. so glad Matt suggested this cause it's, it's pretty, pretty awesome. <laughs> it makes it a lot more fun. <laughs> it definitely does make it more fun. We'll have to come up with a new game here in a little, in a couple weeks. So in uh 20 weeks. <laughs> okay. Well, it seems shorter than what it is. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> I mean, we could potentially recite recycle letters. Yeah, we could, you know, (laughs) uh, how's your week going, dude? Uh, my week's okay. I've been extremely busy, even though I feel like I haven't quite accomplished a whole lot this week, which is very disappointing. Makes my anxiety run high. Ooh, girl, I hear you on that part. Oh my God. I think I talked to you about this before. Like we, it was amazing. We went away for the weekend. We were gone for three days we went to Yosemite. It was beautiful. It snowed. I, I definitely enjoyed it. We got back Monday. I still had Tuesday off and I, I first of all, did not get anything done that day, but then my anxiety started to ratchet up. Like I was like, I'm not doing anything, but I'm stressed about not doing anything, which makes me want to not do anything even more because now I'm overwhelmed about not do. It was just like, it was yeah, so that wonderful like, pattern. Yeah. 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 It's, I, it, dude, when it flares, I can't, I can't handle when it flares. Yeah. It's, it's brutal Ooh. because then I just end up laying on the couch and like scrolling through my phone for no reason. Right. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Cause right now I'm rereading Harry Potter. I'm pretty sure I read Harry Potter and watched like, well, this probably didn't help either. I watched some organization shows on Netflix Mm-hmm. which was super cool but I was like oh my god my house is a mess it was just it was it was just not a good day anxiety through the roof <laughs> but then I got some stuff done the rest of this week not a lot but some and it mm-hmm. kind of made it simmer a little bit so yeah I mean I guess I technically like I accomplished some of the things on my to-do list for work and I did I started school before you. So, <laughs> oh my God, I'm dying. Like the transcript thing, dude. I know. I'm like, can I, can you get my transcripts already and tell me that I can start classes? Because I, I swear know. I am an RVT. <laughs> so I did graduate from a school. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I mean, I guess there's alternate ways to become an RVT. So, yeah, you could have been grandfathered in. But, but I wasn't, still. dang it. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. That whole process was a little tough 
And you had more transcripts than me, which is making it even worse. Well, I think it would have been fine, except for the ones that they need for my AA degree still hasn't arrived. And I'm just like, can you already send those so they can tell me if I can start classes or not? it's frustrating yeah yeah I just want to I just want to get going that is also causing me anxiety (laughs) yeah yeah that was causing me anxiety and I think that's why I dived in so I dove I dove in so hard is because I was like finally and then like but now since then like since I've talked to you about it I have yet to actually like complete anything else in this new class because like last night after we recorded I planned on it but I did these show notes and then like my computer was like, we're going to update right now. <laughs> and so it oh. updated literally from like, I don't know, probably like five 30 or six, maybe it was six 30 until I checked on it again at eight 30 and it was <gasps> still going. And I was like, okay, I Are guess I'm not doing anything me? else tonight. No. Oh, and then when I came up, God. so I'm not sleeping. So I woke up at five and I came up here to check on my computer and it was still updating. And I was like, dude, oh my God, if my computer's broken, I'm going to be upset. So I turned it off and turned it back on and it was fine. And I was like, okay. <laughs> oh my God. It like got stuck while it was doing an update. Oh my God. I do. I've had that happen. And you're just like, what is happening? Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause I have a Mac. So it was like, it's like a whole new like system. Like Apple just, it's one of their big upgrades or updates or whatever so I was like I knew it would take a while but man I thought I would get something done last night and so you're like 12 hours (laughs) and then like I'm trying to make it so I can read some of our textbooks on my kindle but my kindle's too old of an addition to actually be able to do any of that so like I have to read on my computer oh no are you what does this mean I have to update mine too anything that is a like less than a kindle fire like i have a kindle fire like four or something like that like generate fourth generation like i don't even know what generation i have it goes off the year and i looked at what year i purchased mine and i purchased mine in 2011 so mine is a first generation (laughs) like oh no no (laughs) mine is mine is much newer than that because i was anti-amazon for a really long time this is i'm sure everybody wants to know this But yeah. I was, I was anti-Amazon, so I, I held out to get a Kindle, and then I finally got a Kindle. He, there, that's a whole other story, but anyways, I finally got one, so it's definitely not a 2011, but um, I don't know what edition As long it as it's newer than 2014, you're good. Lucky. I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. Hmm. I didn't even realize I had my Kindle for nine years. Like, that's stupid. <laughs> right? I've had mine for a while, for sure. I just don't know how long because I love reading. It's what I do every day. Yeah. Well, I would love to read my textbooks on a tablet and not a computer because then I could get work done and I can't, I cannot read on my phone. Like I just can't. No, I can't read textbooks on my phone. I no. I mean, I can read like articles and stuff like that on my phone, but yeah, short things, but I can't read, but not textbooks. I, the, the, the paragraphs are too long yeah (laughs) I'm like no I can't do it yes so all of you guys that are already in school or still in school or just got out of school you can laugh at us as we talk about going back to school (laughs) yeah because it's been what 12 12 or 13 years for me oh really yeah since I've been in school 
I've taken some classes in between. So, you know, I've done some online classes and stuff like that, which again, I have two sets of transcripts that they already have, but they say they don't count because none of my AA stuff has transferred yet. So yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Cool. No, I mean, so we'll, we'll keep you guys updated as we go. <laughs> yeah. Brand new start for me. So yeah, you'll get anyway, you'll totally get into the swing of things. It'll be, it'll be good. So <sighs> yeah, but that's, uh, I guess that's how our week's going. <laughs> yeah. Stressful. I'm stressed. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, uh, this week we will be discussing the parathyroid glands. Um, uh-huh. and I say that plural because, you know, we'll talk about it in a minute. Um, but what happens to the body when the parathyroid glands are overactive? We are talking overactive thyroid parathyroids today and not underactive. This is race approved on our internal medicine for vettexmembership.com page under the podcast course for one CE credit hour. Members can complete the quiz to get your certificate. Non-members can use this as self-study. So (laughs) we are talking hyperparathyroidism this week. So hyperparathyroidism is excessive production of our PTH, which is our parathyroid hormone. I like that all the abbreviations this week are actually very easy. (laughs) Um, And this overproduction of parathyroid hormone is by the uh, parathyroid gland or glands and can be primary or secondary. If it's secondary, it's usually secondary to renal disease. Right. You know, what's interesting about the parathyroid. So I, we actually had a patient come into this week, um, with, uh, bilateral parathyroid gland, um, nodules and, so this goes into anatomy and physiology because we've been talking so much about endocrine function that, mm-hmm. and how most of the glands have like a master gland and respond to things. The c- crazy thing about the, uh, parathyroids, like they are an entity of to themselves. They, mm-hmm. and they have their own feedback loop. They do not get a stimulating hormone from anybody else. It's just them, which yeah, I nope. think is amazing. Yeah. Like, they produce oh. and secrete like parathyroid hormone. And yep. I mean, if they have their own hormone name after them, they're a pretty big part. Well, but you know, like how we were talking about, like with the thyroid gland and some of the other ones, how, um, the pituitary is part yeah. of that, right? Well, the, the pituitary has nothing to do with the parathyroid, which is interesting to me that, you know, the, it, the parathyroid, it's like, it's an adult gland. It doesn't need mm-hmm. to listen to a parent. <laughs> You're right. It's like, I, right. I'm my own, I'm my own gland. I got this. <laughs> yes. So the parathyroid glands actually receive their name because of their proximity to the thyroid gland. So there are four parathyroid glands and they can actually be like the location varies from each patient. So it, the, the glands can be in on or near the thyroid gland. Mm. Um, and they're never in the exact same like location as from like a cat to a dog or a cat to another cat. They can just vary slightly. Wow. Um, they do their own thing. They do. So <laughs> this is where I want to be. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be the parathyroid gland? One of them? Oh yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> like you're kind of part of a team, but like you still do your but own I'm thing. I'm super individual. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> Jordan's like, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. So the main goal of the parathyroid glands though is to maintain blood calcium levels. So calcium is going to play a huge role in what we talk about today. 
it does this by having a negative effect on calcitonin. Now we didn't talk about calcitonin too much in the last um, couple episodes, but calcitonin mm. is produced by the thyroid gland and it prevents hypercalcemia. So high calcium. Um, and what it does calcitonin is it encourages excess calcium to be deposited or stored in within bones. Mm. So our PTH does the opposite. It prevents hypocalcemia. Interesting. Oh, so yeah. it prevents okay. right. low calcium levels. And it does this by affecting like the kidneys, the bones and the intestine. So it works on multiple different areas of the body. So it'll ask the kidneys to retain calcium and to hold that in. It will withdraw calcium from the bones. So, it, you know, if calcitonin is depositing calcium, then PTH is going to withdraw calcium. It's like a bank. The bones are a bank. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and your calcitonin, it's like your job, it's direct deposit. And then <laughs> you are the PTH that's just oh like, God. I need this. <laughs> And then, um, <laughs> PTH will also increase. So it will ask the body to increase absorption of calcium by the intestines from food. That's kind of crazy, actually, if you think about it. So it's not only do you have excess calcium, but you're getting even more absorbed than normal. Mm-hmm. If you have elevated levels of PTH, that's crazy. So just yes. like, it's a vicious cycle makes it worse and worse and worse. Exactly. Um, it's that, I mean, like PTH actually does play a huge role in like just homeostasis of calcium levels right. in the body. Um, and at some point I'm sure we'll tackle hypocalcemia. Um, but for now, let me just focus on one thing. <laughs> right. I know. Right. I'm like, Oh, a little shaky Yorkie. That's all I think of when I think of low calcium levels. Yeah. And then PTH stimulates calcium reabsorption. Um, and this inhibits phosphorus absorption by the kidneys and stimulates the synthesis of vitamin D and stimulates bone reabsorption. So that's where kind of the renal disease plays a part. Um, cause if the kidneys are malfunctioning, a lot of times those patients will have phosphorus level issues and then secondary, they'll have elevated calcium or they won't be able to synthesize their vitamin D. A lot of times these cats will, if they have like secondary, uh, hyperparathyroidism, because they can't get the bone to do what it needs to do. The bone won't hold calcium. Um, sometimes they'll get like a rubber jaw and their, their bones just aren't as stable. Um, but we'll talk about that a little bit more. So primary hyperthyroidism though, is an uncontrolled release of PTH by the parathyroid glands. This most often occurs from like an adenoma on one or more of the parathyroid glands. Can also occur from hyperplasia or neoplasia, of course, because cancer can do whatever it wants. But a lot of times it is like a benign just tumor on the parathyroid glands that just make it release all the PTH all the time. <laughs> yeah. And, well, and it was crazy because I did, because I was super fascinated by this patient that came in and I asked, I said, you know, we, we always call it like benign. And she's Mm -hmm. in, and my doctor, you know, she's like, yeah, most of the times it's benign. Um, there are some, there are some cases where it's cancerous, but most of the time it's benign. It's just like excessive growth. So I, you know, if you, if you're, if you're going to have a nodule 
and you have to have surgery, this is a good one to have surgery. For. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cause we'll talk about it a little bit, but it has like, it has an excellent prognosis because yeah. the majority of the time it is benign. Um, and it's just, it's treatable. <laughs> it's right, right? Like, yeah. It's very treatable, which is really cool. Unlike our secondary hyperparathyroidism can occur right. for a few different reasons. Generally it's related to renal disease or renal failure, but, um, elevated blood phosphorus levels can be a cause for secondary hyperparathyroidism. The kidneys are unable to make active vitamin D and active vitamin D is needed to absorb calcium. Um, and then lower blood calcium levels from disease. So the parathyroid is overactive, just kind of trying to play catch up. Yeah. And this is when, um, we do, um, and we'll talk about this a little bit in diagnostics, like the, the malignancy panel, mm-hmm. right. Um, that's the, the big one that we do where we try to see, you know, is it just, the thyroid parathyroid hormone or is there all this other stuff going on too so um yeah it's it's always interesting to me um and like I think we'll talk about it more it's interesting when you treat them with surgery versus those pets that you you know for for whatever reason the owners opt not to do surgery or they're not a good surgical candidate candidate like how you treat them going forward. I think it's, it's, it's interesting, super interesting. It is interesting. It's a very internal medicine disease. (laughs) It is, but it's considered rare in either dogs or cats. Mm -hmm. Um, primary hyperparathyroidism is definitely more commonly seen in dogs versus secondary is more commonly seen in cats with renal disease. Um, cause we see a lot of cats with renal disease. So, (laughs) um, Keyshounds are actually more commonly affected by primary hyperparathyroidism and then older hmm. patients are more common as well as we can kind of expect. Which is funny. Cause I don't think I've ever seen a Keyshawn with it. I've never seen I've a Keyshawn honest, with it. I was going to say, but I don't see a ton of Keyshawns. So I, <laughs> maybe that's part of that problem. I'm um, not, I, I don't even know if I've ever really even seen a primary case. I've definitely had, seen primary. I've, I've seen multiple primary cases in dogs. I mean, it's like. I've definitely <sighs> seen multiple secondary cases. Mm, yeah. No, primary. I think I've seen. I've probably seen a few primary cases. Yeah. I'll have to go back but, and look. Those are I probably think- the ones that I don't really remember too well, though, because like we'll just turf into surgery. Yeah. See, I think for us, because. Um, our clinic works a little bit different than yours is we, we have them come in through us, they have surgery and the surgery department basically just does the stuff day of surgery. Whereas like the next day they get transferred back to us. So we do all like the post-op care. And then of course, like the follow-up and stuff like that. So I think that's probably why, like, I remember them more is because we do a lot more hands-on stuff with them post-op. Whereas I know with you guys, once it gets transferred to surgery, I think it stays with the surgery department. Yeah. I think yeah. the only, I mean, I know that surgery is definitely seen a few because they'll use our iStat to check the ionized <laughs> calcium levels. <laughs> and so I usually have to run those for them. That's hilarious that you have to run the, them for, for them. Yeah. All I usually, I think that's the only reason why, like, I even know that they're in the building is because like, I'm usually, I hear 
if not am running calcium levels for patients. <laughs> like, oh, let me, let me do that for you. Yeah. 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 But other than that, like we don't, we don't take care of them. Like they do their own post-op. So the history on them, I mean, we usually, it's, it's interesting because most of the times they'll get transferred to us because the, the, the primary vet has noticed a total calcium. So this like total calcium is different from ionized calcium. One thing about, so when we talk about total calcium in the blood versus an ionized calcium, interestingly, so ionized calcium is the active form of calcium. So if, if we have a patient that has elevated cal total calcium in the blood, so, you know, our normal blood panels, but we do an ionized calcium, such as like an ISTAT. Um, if the ionized calcium is normal, then that takes parathyroid nodules or parathyroid issues off the table. So, um, that's why that's like one of the first things that we'll test for to see if that's even an issue. Right. And like most of the times, you know, you don't, you don't notice anything. It's just popped up on lab work and you're like, Oh, um, so it's like the clinical signs. It's, it's the stuff that's related to having high calcium levels, which is going to be increased thirst and urination because they're trying to get rid of the calcium. Right. Cause kidneys are part of that. You can see um, poor hair coat. You can see some weight loss, lethargy, muscle weakness. Um, we've seen a few that have, um, so like urinary tract issues because mm -hmm. excess calcium can cause stones. So we've seen them like, especially if they're smaller animals, we'll see them come in like with stones or blocked or you know, like UTI from the stone. So we've, we've caught a couple that way. Um, and so, you know, the, the problem is because PUPD, <laughs> poor hair coat, waist loss, lethargy, and muscle weakness, that, that can be Those a all whole the host of diseases. <laughs> right. Exactly. So your differential diagnosis. I know. Did you like how I didn't even list them out? I know. No, <laughs> I it's like all of them. <laughs> So you got kidney disease, you got thyroid disease, you got diabetes. You got, I mean, there's so many things that can cause PUPD. So unfortunately, you know, <laughs> it's the CBC yeah. chem lights <laughs> that we do for all of our patients. Well, but also like, I guess on the differential list though, too, if you have a high calcium level, then your differential list should include like lymphoma, anal sac mm -hmm. tumors, especially neoplasia. And then of course, renal failure, but that goes with the PUPD. Yeah. And I think, um, I think it's really important because I've seen a couple of pets get transferred to us from a primary vet and we're like, Oh, there's a giant anal sac tumor, like giant. Yes. Rectals get missed frequently. Yeah. They, you know, and this is as a technician, for sure. Sometimes I feel like in general practice, technicians do more rectal <laughs> exams than doctors, depending on where you're at, because we're always squeezing the anal gland. So that's, that's something to kind of keep in the back of your mind too, is when you're doing anal gland expression, if you feel an anal gland, that's really firm and it does not express at all, don't just keep squeezing. Um, because it, it is possible that it is a tumor, um, I know when I was in general practice, I definitely found at least two anal yeah. sac tumors and, because and, I was like, and, that's not correct. And anal sac tumors are pretty bad. Like the sooner yeah. you find those, the better. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, those, those are very malignant. <laughs> so they mm -hmm. need to be taken care of right away. 
Um, but the, the crazy thing is, is like it's anal sac, um, we call them agasaca. <laughs> so anal gland sarcomas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anal gland sarcomas, they definitely are, are notorious for increasing calcium. Um, that's just one of those, um, one of those neoplasias, just one that, of those malignancies. Yeah. Yeah. That you, you look for specifically when you notice an elevated calcium. So. Yeah. Yeah. That anal gland tumors do their own things for sure. Yeah. I always um, crack up when I see them in surgery because like, because <laughs> the table's tilted and you're like, there's a butt. <laughs> it's just like mm-hmm. right, right in the window. It's just like, oh, butthole. Like, you know, <laughs> I've helped with a couple of them. Yeah. Like, I'm, I, this is as clean as a skipping because now I have to do a purse string and remove the anal gland. And it's just, I'm like, there's poop. How do you not have poop? But anyways, whole other story. Um, I'm like anal glands themselves are just filled with nasty. Yeah. But material. you know what though, when they remove the tumor, you don't have, it doesn't really, that side leakage. Yeah. You don't have that unfortunately, because the Still. tumors kind of obliterated all that. The other side, the other side will express. <laughs> yeah. Diagnostics are pretty simple. Um, especially when we're dealing with hyperparathyroidism. Um, like Yvonne said earlier, a lot of these referrals, if they do happen, are being referred over just for elevated total calcium levels being noted. We should confirm those levels with an ionized calcium. And you can send those off to the lab. You can have an ionized calcium run. Um, it just takes longer to get an answer, I guess. Um, So typically with our primary hyperparathyroidism, phosphate levels are going to be normal to low, but if we're dealing with chronic renal failure, then phosphate levels are typically elevated. Mm -hmm. So rule outs here, (laughs) they're definitely like kind of their own two separate diseases. If PUPD, um, if the patients are PUPD, blood changes may show evidence of dehydration just because these dogs are trying to play catch up. They're like diuresing themselves. So they might have elevated BUN. Uh, they could have an elevated hematocrit and albumin. So urine can be isosthenuric, especially in the face of dehydration. So that's, you know, we're looking at our specific gravity to see what's going on with that. Um, so parathyroid hormone testing, um, is definitive. If you have elevated PTH, um, that means we've got excess secretion of the hormone. So it is a specific and a sensitive test. So PTH, um, and do you, where do you send your malignancy panels? Cause I, I always send it to form. Michigan I, state. Yeah. I was gonna say, I think it's MSU. It is. Yeah, um, I'm picturing it, the form and I know, right? It's like it's on the right hand side in the middle, right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so the malignancy panel is the PTH, so parathyroid hormone, ionized calcium, and then parathyroid hormone related protein, which is PTHRP. Um, and it does want serum and EDTA and it, it, you know, I don't know about you, but, um, I love but EDTA people... plasma though. Not like EDTA whole blood. Uh, I've sent, I've sent whole blood and they've been fine with it. I mean, I'm sure they spin it down themselves, but 
Yeah. Yeah. And well, and it's, and it's crazy because I don't know about you, but I, it drives me soapbox moment for a second here. It drives me crazy (laughs) when people come up to me and they're like, what tubes do I need for this test? And I'm like, please do not base your entire life (laughs) decision on what tubes I say something needs, because this is how I find out. I print out the form (laughs) and then I look specifically because I have done that where I thought I remembered something and then I sent it to the lab and it's like FedEx because I can't just like send it through my regular courier and they get it and they're like, well, the wrong sample was submitted. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) so please just look at the form to see what samples you need because you don't want to call the client and be like, sorry, we have to do it again. Um, and you don't want to tell your doctor that you pulled the wrong tubes and sent the wrong. Yeah, tubes. exactly. All, all when you Ooh. simply could have just looked, you got, you got to fill out the form anyway. I know. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. That's my big thing. Like before you draw blood, figure out exactly what you need. Like there's a tech tip for you. Figure out exactly what you need before you're sending it in because don't 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 double poke a pet either if you don't have to exactly yeah save a needle poke right right (laughs) um yeah typically these patients though too you can do or your doctor can perform like a cervical ultrasound so an ultrasound of the neck mm -hmm. you do have to shave the neck and sometimes you can identify a parathyroid nodule or nodules if more than one parathyroid gland is affected Diffuse and bilateral enlargement of the parathyroid gland is more along the lines with secondary parathyroidism from renal disease. So that's Hmm. just like kind of just, it's not a specific nodule. It's just generalized enlargement. I was going to say, which makes sense because that's the feedback loop, right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's like the adrenal glands. Exactly. And you've got feedback from that. Then both of them are going to be affected versus if it's a nodule versus, you know, versus a tumor kind of thing, then one of them would be affected. So it makes, it makes sense when you think about it that way. Yeah. 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 Definitely. It's more like swollen from not being able to function properly right? and just spitting out all the PTH. (laughs) So one of the, one of the things about having high calcium levels, um, especially when we're talking about because of parathyroid glands, first of all, because the calcium is being removed from the bones, the problem is now our, our bones are actually more brittle. So they can be predisposed to breaking bones. Um, the other thing with excess calcium is it can mineralize in, in places like the kidneys. So you can see mineralization in the kidneys, uh, and, and stones that form, but you can also get mineralization of other tissues. And so it, it, that's not a good thing. Um, depending on how high that calcium level is because the calcium has to go somewhere, um, because it can't be excreted the way it normally does. And the problem with that is calcium being deposited in tissues can actually be really painful. And there's this whole inflammatory process that kind of, you know, happens. So the problem you know, you may see a patient and, and especially on ultrasound, you can kind of see the mineralization that happens in the kidneys. Um, so ideally 
we can and and that's the thing like what's first like was the elevated calcium because of the kidneys or is it the kidneys that made the elevated calcium um so it's it, it's again homeostasis feedback loops and all that stuff so we just need to be really careful the other thing that's that's kind of interesting is um we don't see a ton of the of this but vitamin d toxication intoxication can cause elevated calcium so just kind of keep that in the back of your head um because i feel like a lot of people are doing vitamin d supplementation now so it's just kind of one of those good things to know about so one of the things when we're talking about hospitalization and just treating some of our patients that we kind of have to think about too is a excess calcium does cause cardiac arrhythmias and and you know kind of the way to think about that is i think for me i think of like the blocked cats that come in right they can excrete calcium and all sorts of other stuff and that does cause cardiac arrhythmias so with patients that do come in with really high calcium levels, we may need to safely and quickly <laughs> uh, diurese and kind of get the calcium out as, as best as we can. Uh, normal saline is, is good for IV fluids. We can do diuresis again, especially if we've got kidney patients and, and secondary um, parathyroid issues. And so interesting two is um prednisone can help it the body excrete calcium which is interesting to me because i i don't think of it specifically but yeah um that's also a side benefit for like lymphoma or yeah cancer things so and i read it's kind of used as like a last resort it's not necessarily yeah it's definitely not a go-to i no. i definitely have not seen it in like our hyper parathyroid patients my doctor go okay pred yeah but for if it's secondary to neoplasia then you know that's an extra benefit of having the steroids on board which is good yeah yeah definitely um and then i think i don't know do you guys go straight to surgery or do you treat for like a week or two and then go to surgery it depends on like the patient's stability okay yeah like if the patient isn't showing like clinical signs for hypercalcemia, then usually they'll go straight to surgery, but it's never normally, it's never normally like an, an emergent thing. No, I don't think I've ever seen an emergency. No. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) it's like, if the surgery department can't get them in for two weeks and yeah, we'll just go ahead and supplement and stuff, but yeah, just to try to make sure everything stays as stable as it can. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fairly straightforward surgery, um, again, it's neck surgery because <laughs> that's where the parathyroid glands live. Um, so that's just something for, for clients to be aware of is that, you know, post-op, they're not going to be putting leashes on them. They should make sure they get a harness. Um, and so, you know, surgery happens. Usually what they'll do is, you know, usually it's one side, but if it is bilateral, they can do that. Um, it's totally fine to do bilateral if they need to. Um, so they, they usually gently dissect and peel the parathyroid gland off of the thyroid gland. Um, and that's something that we monitor very closely post-op too. 
Um, and so they usually will do a biopsy, make sure it's benign, not some horrible, you know, cancerous thing because it can be, but usually it's not. Um, and then afterwards we just need to monitor. And we usually, I think in my clinic, we typically quote them two to three days post-op hospitalization, um, just because we're monitoring blood calcium levels to make sure they don't become hypocalcemic. And then we have to supplement which we've had to do with some patients, um, especially if they have bilateral um, tum mm -hmm. tumors or nodules. Um, sometimes we'll, we'll have to supplement afterwards, but supplementing isn't horrible. Um, you just have to find the right dose for the patient, which sometimes can be a pain. Um, yeah. So and if you're supplementing like with IV calcium being administered, then the patient yeah. should be connected to an ECG while on... <laughs> while IV infusion yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's a slow infusion please don't stop the heart with a bolus of calcium <laughs> don't do it <laughs> um and then just making sure you know these are what you're going to be looking for is the same thing that you look for in like I think of like the postpartum pups that come in and they mm -hmm. like have no calcium left right and they're all like lethargic muscle tremory, twitchy, um, they're weak and interesting. They can get itching. So like, it's very common for them to get facial itching if they become hypocalcemic, which is really mm -hmm. weird because, um, some of our post-op where it's bilateral, um, I can think of one specific one. Um, mom would notice at home when his calcium levels were getting low, he would start kind of rubbing at his face and itching. Um, and that was like, when, when she noticed that she would bring them in and we would check an eye stat to see what medications we had to adjust for him. Um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, outpatient care. So it's not ideal, but we can, um, we can, you know, especially if they're not a candidate for surgery, you can do things like some, some calcium binders, but again, this Tums. is, <laughs> yeah, I was like Tums, but it's not great long-term because you're, you're constantly having to kind of battle it because usually what happens is those nodules keep growing and become, you know, larger. So you're, you're, you're constantly like monitoring and adjusting for these guys. At least that's what I found. Yeah. It, it's just like when it's so simple to just fix, especially when it's primary disease, mm -hmm. like it's just, you, it's that communication with the client where you just have to be like, listen, if we do surgery, you might not ever have to give meds again. Right. <laughs> Which is a very big rarity. And I am. Right. And <laughs> oh my God. That's so true. <laughs> probably because it's kind of a surgical case. It's like one of those things where like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But versus well, having to constantly monitor. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Usually not. Yeah. And, you know, it, depending on, again, most of the times surgery fixes the problem. Every once in a while they become hypoglycemic and they do need to be supplemented. So um, sometimes we'll have to do vitamin D or actual calcium, but um, most of the times you know, we, we fix it. Um, and, and it could be like, you know, a week or two later for the recheck. Now we're normal and we don't have to worry about it. Um, 
if it's secondary, you know, surgery is not always recommended and we can use calcitriol to help with, you know, regulating things. So, so we can do that as well. Yeah. Cause remember, I mean, calcitriol is essentially going to help the body with that feedback loop. There's too much parathyroid hormone out there. So our calcitonin, our calcitonin can't really keep up. So we have to supplement with calcitriol in order to just try to maintain a balance. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, when we're talking with our clients, you know, as long as they're good surgical candidates, right. The, the big thing is surgery can correct it and prognosis is good most of the time for these kids. Um, and just let them know that it is a neck surgery, right. We're going to do a harness post-op. We're not putting a neck lead on them until they're fully cleared and, and recovered. Um, and then usually, you know, we just do our monitoring every six months to a year to make sure nothing else is cropped up. But again, most of the times it's curative, which is great. Um, if it comes back malignant, you know, that's a whole other conversation that they're, they're going to have to talk to oncology about, um, to see if there's stuff they need to do follow-up, but most of the times you're good. It's the tip of the week. Tip of the week this week is going to be check your blood forms for what tubes you need. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) There you go. Tip of the week. (laughs) Um, Make sure you only have to poke once and not multiple times because you didn't realize you needed different tubes. Your patient will really appreciate that. Right. Or if you work in internal medicine and your doctor's a little bit neurotic, like sometimes mine likes to be, you just pull all the tubes. Yeah. Yeah. I do that too. Cause my boss will frequently change his mind. Yeah. I'm like, Hey, only if they're not anemic, you just wanted an eye stat. Now you want a pair, you want a malignancy panel. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm like, well, a green top tube, isn't going to cut it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Calls, Especially I the little green top tubes. Stuff. Cause eye stats don't need much. Right. Exactly. Ugh. I yeah. Yeah. Stats. As long as I know the patient's not anemic, I usually just draw all the tubes. <laughs> like, right. Especially yeah. if it's a big dog. <laughs> and now for the question of the week. What have you seen more of primary hyperparathyroidism or secondary hyperparathyroidism? Ooh, I think I've personally seen more secondary. But again, I, I think it's just maybe I'm naive to the fact that once it goes to surgery in my brain, it's like, I no longer remember this case. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think I've seen more primary, but honestly, I don't know if I've ever really talked to my doctor about classifying whether it's primary or secondary. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think we've ever said, Hey, this is a primary. Yeah. I think, but disease. see, I think, I think the reason why I think I've seen more secondary is just because I feel like I've seen more renal disease. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. So I think like, I don't know. I'm wondering now if the patient that I saw this week, if he had kidney disease, because he did have bilateral, um, parathyroid enlargement. Hmm. Now I'm going to have to go back and look and be and like, not a nodule. Well, but wouldn't it? Mm, no, no, it's enlargement. If it's renal disease, it's nodules. If it's primary. 
<laughs> this may be a case of one of those like what is a nodule what's the definition of a nodule <laughs> versus enlargement because I, so my doctor did explain to me at one point and I was like well I don't know how I'm ever going to remember that because I think it depends on the amount of difference in size yeah like I think it's enlargement then a nodule then a mass kind of thing I think that's kind of burp, burp, burp. I think it <laughs> Steps stair steps for stair steps as far as what you call it so we'll have to look that up <laughs> interesting well we know all the ways to get a hold of us we're going to post a question on facebook you can always email us at contact at internal medicine for vet you can hit us up on the internal medicine for vet website or internal medicine for vet membership.com and answer the question there Yep. And we'll have the resources for you too. Um, there's a couple of really good ones. Like I think you used Merck and um, DBM 360. Yeah. I found a couple of proceedings and yeah. So we had a lot of really good resources for this week's episode, um, which I can, I'll kind of briefly run through, but we had our small animal internal medicine for vet techs and nurses book, our Bible, of course, Clinical Anatomy and Physiology for Vet Techs. And then, yeah, like Yvonne said, I use DVM 360, just kind of looking at parathyroid disease as a whole. There's a lot of information about hypoparathyroidism too, if people are interested in learning about that, because we do not have that planned for this series just yet. But again, we don't plan on stopping. So at some point we will get there. Um, Kidney.org talks about secondary hyperparathyroidism just from renal disease. And then, of course, my favorite, Merck Veterinary Manual, um, described a lot of the different ways that hyperparathyroidism can occur, not just from um, primary disease or secondary disease, but just disorders of calcium metabolism as a whole and hypercalcemia as a whole, which is pretty interesting. And then... Yeah, and we'll put the link to the MSU lab form um, in there too, because I, I feel like that malignancy panel from MSU is super common. And actually, if you know of other labs that do it as well, let us know. Um, I feel like MSU is usually our go-to, but you know, that's a that's a United States thing. So, like Yvonne said too, we're gonna put the um, MSU form up for everybody just to kind of look at. Always take a good look at Vin. There's always some good stuff there, and that's some good information. And then just kind of as a heads up as to how we're going to finish out this series. We are going to finish out the series with pheochromocytoma. So what this is going to be, it's going to be like a, so next week's episode is going to be pheochromocytoma. And what this is going to be is our kind of leading into neurology disease. So it's an endo- a neuroendocrine disorder, which I find very fascinating that we were <laughs> clever enough to end endocrine and start neuro with pheochromocytoma. So take a listen at that next week as we lead into the neurology segment, which you guys will be thrilled because we have a guest on for our entire neurology series, which will be fantastic because Yvonne and I are not neuro people at all. Uh, (laughs) But you can have a listen at that. And then just let us know if you need anything else from us. If you want to hear anything else specific, we'll be doing a poll again here in the next couple weeks, maybe next month or two, um, just to see what our next couple series should be as we round out the end of the year. Um, And just let us know what you would like to hear from us. (laughs) All right, guys. Thank you so much. Well, I think that wraps up this episode. So we will talk at you guys next week. Hope everybody has a safe, healthy, fun 
week ahead of you, and we will talk to you guys soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you.